0: Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cryptocurrent. Just one quick reminder, Cryptocurrent is a cryptocurrency and blockchain education platform that's bridging the gap between the curious newcomers who are just discovering the space and the thought leaders who are shaping its future. All opinions expressed by Richard Carthon, the Cryptocurrent team, and their guests on this show are exclusively their own opinions. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Richard, the team, and their guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow his financial advice. This show and any other cryptocurrency production is exclusively for informational purposes. What's going on, everybody? For Current, I'm Stephen Miller, and you are listening to The Aftershock, our weekly show where we catch you up on all things Web3. Today, as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Richard Carthon. Richard, how are you doing today?
1: What's up, everybody? I'm doing good. I'm happy to see the crypto market starting to turn a little bullish. We got a market cap back above a trillion dollars, back 1.1 trillion right now which is trending in the right directions Bitcoin's trying to break through this 24,000 uh, dollar threshold we have ethereum trying to break through to 1800 i uh, got a lot of other alts out here trying to break through so you know i'm feeling optimistic and it's good to have some optimism after several months of pessimism um so i'm feeling pretty good steve how about you how, how, how are things going for you
0: I got to tell you, man, my uh, my energy level is going to be a little bit questionable today. Um, I had a long weekend in Rocky Point with my family, um, so it is a little bit drained, but I'm coming back. I'm here to talk all about what's going on in the world of Web3 and make sure that our listeners are well connected. And that's the mission for today, just as it is with every Aftershock episode. So I'm hoping to you know catch a little bit of a second wind here shortly and start making sure that we keep everybody up to date. Um, I'm really pumped about the NFT market right now. I think that a lot of things are starting to officially shift gears. Um, the most questionable thing I think people have wondered for a while now is like, when are we going to start moving away from Freemints? And I think the time is starting to come. Um, I'm very refreshed on that. I think that the meta is about to shift, but there are two or three other Freemint projects I think that are going to come in the next week or two. They're going to be worth your attention, but I don't know if we're going to see many more after that, because I think people are starting to you know, move money back into the NFT market slowly but surely. So I'm excited about it. I think there's a lot more to talk about in the NFT and the crypto space at large. And that's what we're going to do today. So I certainly hope that you guys are all buckled in and ready because this is the aftershock. Let's, jo- let's dive right in. The aftershock. So for those at home that may not know, this is the lightning round where we take you through everything Web3 first. And our top story today is BlackRock partnering with Coinbase to offer institutional investors access to crypto services. Richard, what do you know about this story? What can you tell us?
1: So what's really interesting about BlackRock is they have one of the largest uh, amounts of um, assets under management, AUM. Um, I think roughly uh, $5 uh, or or some close to that. And by having this Partnership, you now have institutional investors that have a direct line to crypto exposure. For a long time, we've been we've been talking about oh, when is institutional money coming? Oh, when is all this happening? Again, you're dealing with someone who has five trillion with the T, like 5x, what I talked about earlier, the entire crypto market has five trillion assets under management. This is just one company. And now let's say they get to a point where they decide, okay, we want to get some exposure. And let's say they want to put 10%. So and almost like that, if they decided tomorrow, hey, we're going to try to get to 10% exposure over the next year, the entire market cap would almost double like that with one company with one partnership like this. So this is extremely exciting. And I think it's a first step in big institutional money starting to find more easy access to be able to get diversified into crypto. So I think this is a very bullish signal.
0: I'd have to agree. I think that there was another story out of Coinbase in the last week that was just as bullish. And I think that you've now got big positives on the side of the institutions, but you also have big partnerships co- coming from the side of like social media and them wanting to make sure that they are providing access to the most users they can on the retail side as well as institutional. So they announced that they're officially rolling out Instagram and Facebook um, NFT integrations across like more than a hundred different countries. And it also including the flow blockchain in that rollout. So there's a lot that's coming from Coinbase still. I think it's still very young in terms of like the rest of the market. Um, But the fact that BlackRock is jumping in and you see them partnering across the board with companies like Coinbase, Meta, it's, it's all exciting. So I'm going to keep an eye on this story for sure. There's a lot more to talk about though. Our next one is Singa- the Singapore-based crypto lender HODLNOT has officially suspended withdrawals. I... Man. Like... again, <laughs> It's just the next in like, what? An onslaught of just continual companies that are just starting to prove like that they're not capable of being a lender or a exchange or a creditor. Like they're just all they're all defaulting left and right, and it's just killing all their user base, which sucks. Um, I know that Singapore-based Knot um, was one of the top, I believe, brokers out of Singapore. Yeah. So it, this one's definitely a hit. Um, is yeah. it as big of a hit as a Voyager? Probably not.
1: But, I don't know if it's as big, but it's still, man, it's it's a big gut punch. And it's we still haven't seen the tail end effects of everything with Terra Luna, unfortunately. And it go, goes back to the core problem of what we're seeing in a lot of defi protocols which there's a lot of companies that are trying to go and address it now but the idea of what does it mean to have credit like or to have on file previous history of creditors uh, uh, because as you're starting to to lend out all of this defi to you know these different people institutions whomever cuz you don't really know it's it's decentralized if they followed in the past, if they're not someone who's going to be able to pay back their loan, and you just do that over and over again, and you have a cataclysmic event happen, such as a Terra Luna, you wind up back to this position. So what, what I think is going to come out of this, you're going to start finding more protocols, trying to find ways to see how creditworthy they are before they start to lend this type of money out because they can't afford to keep doing this.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I think the one thing that I kind of have a tendency to go down a different path on is just like looking at all of these different agencies and ask myself how many of them can still be over leveraged, right? You would think that after a while they would just get washed out and we would see the full effect happen. But it's not so it, like it's not so simple. These things can stretch on for months. And until we see that all of it's washed out we're not going to see a true recovery i think we will everything right now indicates that we are on the way back up or at the very least into a stabilizing territory because of what you see on the bitcoin and the eth rainbow charts um, shout out to our friends over at blockchaincenter.net. if you have not yet learned about those charts highly recommend that you check those out after the video but for the like path forward from here i see that these players need to be shaken out and it just sucks that HODL not has to be one of those casualties. So we will, of course, keep you updated. Um, I have nothing but hope until we get to the next story. The next story it has to do with mixing service tornado cash. So I don't know if you're familiar with this one, Rich. This came down Monday morning. The U.S. Treasury formally has blacklisted crypto mixing service tornado cash and its associated wallets. Now, the associated wallets piece of this is um, let's just say a little sus because they blacklisted some wallets that are actually larger entities, okay? So I'll break that down for you in a minute here, but I guarantee you there's going to be a crypto native way to look at this and a traditional finance way to look at this. I'm curious how you view this article because I think that I may view it a little bit differently.
1: Uh, potentially. Uh for those who don't know what tornado cash is it is a way to launder money legally well i don't want to say legally but uh, you can you can launder money because privately. we put huh
0: it's laundering it privately not right. legally you
1: can la- yeah not legally privately um that's definitely not the right yeah that is the right word privately is the right word legally is not because laundering money in anywhere is not legal uh so tornado cash you can do it and I'm not advising anyone who's listening to this right now to go launder money. Not doing that. But I'm letting you know that Tornado Cash is a place where you can do that. And again, I'm not saying you should go do that. Whole point being, the U.S. Treasury formally figured out that, like, hey, this is a place they can go do that. We should probably shut this down, and they did it. I'm not really upset about it. I, I don't know any scenario where you would need to be using Tornado Cash. I just, I just don't. I don't. I don't have. Maybe you have some good examples, but I can't pull something to justify using tornado cash so
0: yeah I can't um, is the answer um, I think <laughs> that there the reason why I say that my answer is probably a little bit different from yours on this one is because I believe that tornado cash should be illegal. I believe that every single piece of it is just at the end of the day the on paper definition of money laundering. And that's not something we can like allow to continue happening. But the reason why this eventually came down and like, this was the ruling was because it was directly linked to a, a North Korean hacking group that state endorsed by North Korea. That laundered like, I want to say it was something like $9 million or $90 million through tornado cash. Basically, what they did is they took the money that was stolen, they sent it into parcels. It's like they may have chopped it up into like 10 different um, movements where basically it gets thrown into Tornado Cash with a bunch of other people's money. And it then just spins it up and spits it out to another address that they provide it um, privately and securely. There are ways to still track through Tornado Cash. Like you can get around it. You can track those payments. There are a lot of different block explorers out there and different um, crypto forensic companies that have cracked that and know how to do it. So I don't, I don't necessarily know if it was necessary to go so far as blacklisting it just yet. And this is why I think I have the, like, the more surprising take on this. I think that tornado cash should be illegal. I just don't like how they did it. I think that having the US Treasury... And the government take this strong armed approach where they don't even put it in front of the in front of Congress, and they just simply legislate because they believe they have the power over um, privacy, is a little twisted. And I would much rather see something like this be passed through by way of legislation and like really determine what services U.S. citizens should not be able to access for not only their privacy but for their safety and to prevent. Money laundering. Um, That's the one piece of this that I don't like is the fact that it was just government overreach in my opinion. Are they protecting? Yeah, they are because ultimately it's money laundering, but um, I don't know. I like to believe in the constitution and like how the Congress should work. Um, That doesn't mean that it does all the time.
1: Yeah. Not to spend too much time on this, uh, but a thought that came up and I really want to just put it out there. And this is completely outside of crypto by far but on that same at, on that same track there are th- things where the constitutional due process I do think isn't necessarily as it should for example if someone can go and shoot up a school and then have due process to then have whatever is dealt to them i don't know if that's necessarily the thing either right i think there's 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 a lot of ways that you can like slice the the due process piece of this but again this isn't a political show i'm not going to spend a lot of time here but just know that uh, don't do work tornado cash the us treasury just banned it it's illegal you go to jail
0: yeah and to be clear it's not meant to go political but when i think due process i don't necessarily equate that with what you would gave us the example there i know that it is but when i'm talking about due process i mean from like the legislating perspective right yeah. how how we go about passing laws and how we go about regulating industries that to me is something that needs to be put through um, Congress on a legislative level as opposed to something like you know litigating in order to regulate, um, which we've seen time and time again, this stupid ongoing SEC case against Ripple. But we'll talk more about that on an upcoming show, I'm sure. So let's jump into our second to last story in the Web3 Lighting around this week. And that's a very quick one about Cardano's Vasil hard fork. Um, it is the next big move forward for Cardano, which is another um, Web3 ecosystem project like Ethereum. It will be moving this hard, hard fork forward in September. There's not a lot more to report on that, but this is the next major milestone for Cardano as it continues to roll out globally and continues to bring more and more people into its ecosystem. I think the next update after this should bring Hydra which I think should be a really, really massive update for multi-chain connectivity. Um, But this is, it's something that enables Hydra. So I'm really excited about it. Hopefully we can see this um, start to build Cardano a little bit more momentum into the next cycle. But do you have any final thoughts on this one before we go ahead?
1: Cardano has to have more use cases that people can come and actively use it. I think the hard fork helps to get there, but Cardano has been extremely underwhelming, unfortunately, but I do think there is a turning point that can come. But I think they're running out of time as we get closer to ETH
0: 2.0. Yeah, I think it's no, um, it's not just circumstantial that it's happening at the same time, <laughs> no. right? Because ETH yeah. 2.0 is officially supposed to move forward in September, and both of these are major chapters for each network. So. I'm excited for it. I think it'll be interesting to see how it develops. I think there's a place for all of them out there. And that brings us to the one that I'm not sure has a place out there anymore. Um, So Solana, you may have heard of it. It's like Cardano. It's an ETH competitor. But it recently got hacked. And it got hacked in a big way. A number of people's phantom wallets and other wallets ended up getting drained. And they could not, for the life of them, figure out how the breach occurred. Richard, would you like to see what a red flag looks like?
1: <laughs> uh, to get hacked and have no idea how it happened.
0: like that's terrifying. That is downright <laughs> terrifying. And I am not going to say that I like Solana, but I find it really funny that that happened to Solana. Because it again, had it, so it's many
1: deep, hacks, dude. It's been dude.
0: It's the most centralized of the Web three ecosystems bar none like you can look at the actual cap tables for how it distributed to public versus private equity versus treasuries they sold the vast majority of the ecosystem's tokens over to venture and that is such a red flag centralized ass move that i it still blows my mind that they did it but when you go to that point and the public and the community does not own the ecosystem then how like there's no way to truly understand it at its core at like a community scale right you have to have more developers in the ecosystem you have to have more open source developers wanting to participate in the ecosystem and then when shit like this happens and they have no answer for it it's like it's inexcusable we need to be better than this in web3 so i laugh at this
1: it was, was, was was even wilder about it, man, is that they essentially blamed Magic Eden that there is a contract that if you engage with Magic Eden within the last, like, uh, I think, like, month or so, that you were potentially exposed to this. And so in response to that, Magic Eden was like, okay, bet. And for those who don't know, Magic Eden is the preferred uh, NFT uh, platform on top of Solana. So they're like, okay, that's cool. They basically said, we're going to start listing ETH NFTs and start taking ETH payments. Like they're, they're basically saying, we built on your platform. Now you're trying to point fingers at us. We're going to expand. And I think, unfortunately, you're probably going to see that happen with more and more platforms as Solana continues to get hacked.
0: But what's absolutely insane is that it then came out after the fact that their suspicion was wrongly placed. It wasn't Magic Eden at all. Right. It was just the internal like couple of like bigger development shops around Solana that decided to point the finger at Magic Eden. It had nothing to do with them. So to me, I think it's all insane. Um, But it goes to show that like if you watch more of these NFT marketplaces start taking ETH payments and ETH listings for ETH NFTs, the NFT marketplace game is just starting to get heat. Like, it's really just starting to heat up. X2, Y2 over the weekend, this is just a fun fact for you. Over last weekend, X2, Y2 eclipsed OpenSea in volume. So to me, there ain't no better time for Magic Eden to hop into ETH because they're going to start bringing over more people that were starting out with NFTs over on Solana over into the ETH ecosystem, just as OpenSea started bringing more people that were involved in ETH NFTs over into the Solana ecosystem when they started listing Solana NFTs. It's, a, it's all a matter of time, dude. And there's gonna be more and more NFTs across different networks eventually getting listed on OpenSea, X2, Y2, Solana, and not Solana, Magic Eden, and Luxrare. Yeah. Just wait. Tezos is coming. Like Cardano NFTs are coming. Like Cardano NFTs are a massive trend right now. The, whichever one of these major ETH exchanges, starts adding on cardano nfts first dude it's going to be it's going to be one of those moments one of the big moments that we've been waiting for so i'm excited for it i think there's a lot of opportunity there uh, but i think that solana is ever so graciously burying itself week over week so
1: yeah they got to come out on the other side of this they just they need to win
0: they, yeah they, they really, need really to do win. need um, no question But let's jump into the metaverse and talk a little bit about what's going on in NFTs and um, VR as it is in Web3. So this was an interesting story out last week regarding Tiffany's. And now you know Tiffany's for the Tiffany ring. um, And there's a number of other massive Tiffany jewelry products out there. And even special edition like cards and stuff like that. They've announced that they're officially doing their first NFT project. And they didn't want to do this in any little way. No, they wanted to go as big as humanly possible by doing a limited run of 250 punk pendants. That is CryptoPunks. So they are selling exclusively to CryptoPunk holders. So you have to have a CryptoPunk in your wallet to go buy it. And you can go buy one of these NFTs for 30 ETH. That's right. <laughs> 30. 3, followed by a 0, and then ETH. 30. Oh not 13, God. not 3. 30. Now, what's wild to me about this is that the way they plan on implementing it is it's a fidgetal project, meaning that they're going to have both a physical and a digital component. They'll sell you this NFT that looks like basically a static image across um, all 250 NFTs. When you redeem it, it will become a pendant version of your CryptoPunk. And then, in addition to that, they will then send you or allow you to come pick up a pendant that's made up of diamonds and rubies and sapphires and like a whole bunch of other crystals that composes your cryptopunk. It literally looks like your cryptopunk. I love it. I think that it's the move that we needed to see happen because I think it says huge things for how to bring in the luxury market over into NFTs. And it's not going to be the last time we see this. I guarantee it. But what blows my mind about it, Is that they're only doing two hundred and fifty? There are
1: ten.
0: There are ten thousand CryptoPunks.
1: Steve, I just I just read the math at seventeen hundred ETH right now. That is fifty one thousand dollars for this little pendant. So like, yeah, yeah, you might have ten thousand of them, and and yes, a lot of CryptoPunks are are obviously worth a lot more than that. But like, even even still, you're only going to have so many people that are willing to spend over fifty thousand dollars for a nice piece of jewelry. You know what I mean? Like, and it, yes, it's a super big flex. And I think by limiting it, it should draw more hype and help them sell it out. Because, you know, they, they let's say they make, you know, the $51,000 on this and they sell all 250 of them. You know, that's a quick couple mil. So, I mean, uh,
0: man. Look, my hangup is really simple. It's like you've already find artificial scarcity into the collection by making it a 10k collection right yep. that is that is artificial scarcity you're going to then make something that's even more scarce i'm not saying that scarcity is a problem okay like please do not misjudge what i'm saying i'm just saying that 250 of these things like it seems almost too exclusive whereas like Just buying CryptoPunk right now is hyper exclusive. I think that the floor on them is somewhere around 80 right now, 80 or 90 ETH. So I don't know. It's it's a really tricky thing. I think that it's a good place for them to start experimenting though, because I think Tiffany & Co has a lot of legroom and a lot they can do with this. So I'm going to keep an eye on this one going forward, but let's forge ahead into our next um, luxury brand related story. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So Gucci and Tag Heuer coming out of the woodwork saying, hey, guys, we told you a couple of weeks ago, we're going to start taking crypto via BitPay. But now we're not just going to take Bitcoin and Ethereum and Litecoin and the other majors. We're also going to take this funny little coin, the monkey coin, ApeCoin. So now you can officially go buy, you know, your partner, that Gucci bag they've always wanted or that Tag Heuer watch they've always wanted in ApeCoin. Um, when you have a company like board API club and Yuga labs, literally minting 10,000 millionaires across the last year. Um, <laughs> it's almost like no shit, right? You <laughs> like, you're going to go to those people and you're gonna be like, Hey, um, you know, all that, you know, funny money that you just got from the folks that gave you those monkeys. Well, you can now spend all that and buy real shit from Gucci and Tag Hauer. It, it's a no brainer more of this is going to happen over time um, what's what are what are you laughing about over there
1: it's just the exclusiveness of all this stuff and when you think about some of these nfts and what they aspire to do is to create this level of new age h- exclusivity a lot of people all like when they like do what's the value in an nft like why would i do this look at all these brands tiffanys what is when you think of tiffanys what do you think you think luxury jewelry gucci and tag Heuer what do you think? Luxury um, swag, and now they are literally taking ApeCoin from the board eight club NFT collection. Like this is all transpired in two years, Steve. Two years. Less than. Less than two years. Year and a half.
0: I was gonna say Bruh. we had we just celebrated board API club's one year anniversary on April thirtieth.
1: Oh my gosh! Not even a year and a half. This is what's discussed. Like they're moving so fast and this is just the beginning we're at the beginning of this journey this is the, this is the first couple of pages
0: so i'm i'm really curious to see how it all shakes out um i think that right now is probably the best time they could possibly announce something like this because i think that apecoin's pretty damn close to its floor like i don't think it's going to go much lower and that's just based on my own ta right none of this is financial advice you heard some Person rattle off a disclaimer statement at the beginning of the show. Um, they sounded really smart, by the way. You should listen to them more. Um, but I I really do think that like this is prime time for them to start announcing Apecoin partnerships and accepting that as currency. Um, because to them, it then means there's very limited downside. Because if they start accepting it, it's not like the price is going to drop off much more. Yeah. Just my take.
1: But look, as, as long as it doesn't fall and go to nothing, like they have nothing but upside. Like, why wouldn't you?
0: Yep. Especially so, if they hold
1: it on their books. And if it does go down, you can count it as a loss. Like they, they win either way.
0: Yeah. Look, I, I think that all of the luxury brands that partner with ApeCoin are going to win either way. So let's talk about Miami. Yes. The city of Miami. Well, they've announced a partnership with Time Magazine, MasterCard, and Salesforce, all players that have made themselves very known in the NFT space. They're all working together on a 5K NFT collection for the city of Miami featuring 56 local artists. Now, on the surface here, just it being another 5K collection, like or an X number collection, it may not seem very special. Um, but I think that it's really important to note that this is actually a massive milestone for the industry, right? We've never seen a city or a state entity partner with major brands to put out an NFT collection. collection. And these are all publicly traded. I'm sorry, not time, but MasterCard and Salesforce, publicly traded companies. They're working with the city of Miami to do a 5K collection. I think that that is something that's going to go way underrepresented and it's going to fly way under the radar. Could it be a little commercialized? Some might say yes. The reason I don't think it is, is the fact that they're willing to go so far as finding 56 local Miami artists to be represented across this 5k collection. That is called going above and beyond the call of duty. My friend, what do you think about it?
1: Uh, most people listening to this have heard of Time Magazine, MasterCard, oh, and, and, and Salesforce. They're partnering with Miami, just a city, to make a 5,000 NFT collection. And I know I'm basically just rereading this, but I'm, I'm really trying to emphasize really how huge of a deal this is. Like, it really can't be like shortchanged. This is massive news. So. um, Yeah, I don't want to be the dead horse here, but like, this is going to be a really, really early call. But I think like this is like the start of the next NFT bull cycle that we see because this is, man, this is extremely bullish news to me. I don't know how this can't be bullish.
0: I think the only reason it can't be bullish is because it's going to be underserved they're not going to be able to get enough PR out about it because there's still so much FUD out there. It's being dominated, right? Because you have the bigger financial institutions right now still control so much of the media presence. All they want the media to be saying about crypto right now is negative. So they're not going to let it get down to the NFT players that have a want and a need to show the world what NFT technology can do. But I think that that's probably the biggest statement to say here is like if you still at home are not sure about NFTs. You don't necessarily get what the big deal is. And I apologize. I definitely just dropped an F-bomb. I told you I'm coming off holiday. Too relaxed right now. But the truth is is that I really do think these different collections, not the collections, the different corporations, they are an indicator that you need to at home say, all right, if I don't understand NFTs, these guys clearly do. What am I missing? If you're not saying that to yourself right now, you're not doing yourself justice. You need to be going out and educating yourself. Go through our content. We try to educate on every single piece of this as to why it should matter to you um, on a weekly basis here. I really cannot stress that enough. Other players are seeing the light. Don't let them seize the memes of production as Punk6529 says. You can take control of your culture and your digital identity. That's where I'm going to leave it. For the Miami story, so we can move past my blunder in um, swearing. Talk to me about Pearson. Um, after you're done l- laughing at me, Pearson plans to sell its textbooks as NFTs. Why is this in our deck today? Why is this so important?
1: You have educational platforms uh, that, that deal with schools planning to sell NFTs, and like when you think about a lot of these. Books and these players, why do they make new editions all the time? Oh, that's right. They want to make as much money as humanly possible. So then they're like, oh, okay. Well, what if we could sell them as NFTs because you also want to like sell them online at top dollar or whatever. And then if you want to sell it to somebody else, now you can do that. And they're like, oh, we can make residual income from doing that because once we sell the book once, that's it. But now you're telling me since we sell digital copies, we can make residual income? We should try that and see what happens. And I'm pretty sure that's how we got here.
0: Yeah, I think that's the the core of it, right? They don't want kids to be selling their textbooks and them not getting a cut. Um, is it corporate greed? Sure, you could say that. But to me, like, you know, the big publishers like a Pearson um, or a, what was the other name of the, the big one? McGraw. That we used to say cool. Yeah, McGraw-Hill. They both are Like just rolling in money because they sell their textbooks for tons of cash. And at the end of the day, like if they're going to sell those textbooks and then realize on the back end that there's now a technology out there that can pay them back a royalty every single time it sells, why aren't they going to take that revenue? Remind me again? Oh yeah, that's right, because they're going to take that revenue any way they can. They don't want it to just get sold down the river so they don't have to... It's so they don't get the next edition out to be able to sell it for even bigger money on the next, you know, um, semester's classes. This was a no brainer to me. I figured this was going to come at some point. Um, but I'm happy that, I'm happy to see that Pearson's adop- adopting the technology. Hopefully students can still find a way around it. The last piece that I have for you this week, um, is a project that's a little bit close to my heart. It is the on-chain monkey community. Um, they're an NFT project that we've featured on the show. Here, you can go back and check out that interview that we had with Onchain Monkeys Amanda Terry um, a couple weeks back, where we talked all about the Karma launch and what the Onchain Monkey community has been up to. And this was probably an unprecedented announcement because I don't think it's actually happened before. And it was that they announced a formal partnership with Hut Eight, um, which is a formally um, Formerly NYSE traded public company. In that partnership, they bought 25 monkeys and they are going to hold it on their books and they're going to continue to partner with Metagood and Onchain Monkey into the future. And in the end of their statement, Onchain Monkey said that more companies will be joining their ranks soon. Richard, just clarify for me real quick. Have you heard of any other project out there that has sold NFTs to New York, New York Stock Exchange traded companies?
1: On the books, no. I think this is. They might be the first. I don't know that they'll be the last, but like this is really cool. And the fact that they're starting to get more to start holding NFTs on their books, because again, for a lot of these people, this these are longer term plays. Uh these are going to be longer holds, especially if these are reports that they have to give to their board members, give to their stockholders, et cetera. I mean, even when you look at Tesla, when they bought all the Bitcoin that they did, and even when they offloaded it at the end of Q2, um, they still have to report on this stuff. So if they're buying it, it's not like they're about to come in and flip it. They're, they're seeing this as a long-term positive play, which is really bullish news and really exciting
0: from the way that I understand the news, Hut8, after buying these monkeys, they plan on just locking them up, holding them, and being able to use those monkeys to participate in MetaGoods DAO. So within that DAO, it is going to specifically target for-good initiatives, not necessarily not-for-profit, but for-good, meaning that it's meant to benefit the world in an ESG sense because so many people around the world like the idea of impact investing right now. They wanna make sure that more companies out there are adhering to ESG standards and ESG goals, that is environmental goals, um, societal and social goals, and then governance goals. If you are going to prioritize that as a company at the very corporate level, finding a partner to help you maintain that compliance and show that you really are invested in that as a company is going to continue to become a higher priority. And I know the NYSE is working with MetaGood non-chain monkey in the background to continue down that path and to help more companies become ESG compliant. So this is really not just some bullshit like form formal like after statement where they're saying more companies are coming soon. I really do believe this is just the first of many that are going to come in and start buying monkeys. So. It's interesting to me. I think that there's a bright future ahead for on-chain monkey and for um, companies that start prioritizing that sort of thing. Um, but do you have any final words on it?
1: Um, final word is if you're watching us live uh, on YouTube, then you know you can see a really nice hat that Steve is rocking. Um, and you can also see a really dope shirt that I'm wearing. So this is also just a fresh reminder that for all of our listeners out there, come check us out on YouTube. We got some really cool graphics and some really cool stuff to show you. And some really other great content we're putting out there as well. But I digress. chain monkeys, keep crushing it.
0: No question. But that's going to round out our show for today, um, where we brought you back to every single detail that's going on in the world of Web3. But let me toss it to you, Rich. Who did you have on the show this past week? Because we dropped a brand new interview on Monday.
1: We did. We had Jack Kelleher with Buddy Dow. Um, they're doing something really cool with uh, lending. Uh, so. Uh, imagine being able to go into a DeFi protocol, almost like we talked about earlier, and having access to someone who is going to help you get that initial line of credit. So for example, when the first time you ever got a credit card, your parent probably helped you because if you have no line of credit, creditors typically aren't going to give you any line of credit. So you put your parent's name on there as well. So in the event that you default, they can then go to someone else, aka your parent. So in the same way with Buddy Dow, what they're doing is allowing you to bring in a buddy. So when you come in to get this, DeFi uh lending money uh in the event that you default, you now have this buddy to help cover you. So it's a good way to be able to get access to money, be able to um borrow and and be able to build from there. And they're doing it a very unique way.
0: It's all really exciting stuff. Definitely love seeing new innovations in the DeFi space. You can of course look forward to more of those interviews every Monday here on current We will be featuring those both on our podcast platform and over on YouTube you can, of course, join us every Wednesday here for the latest news to keep you connected to the world of Web3 with the Aftershock. We've got brand new content up on the website as well. You can check us out at crypto-current.co and also over on the Twitters and all the other social platforms. You can find me at Steve Miller underscore PHX. You can find Richard at Richard Carthon. We will hope to hear from you soon. We've got new threads coming out every week over on Twitter. Please make sure that you are replying to us. We want to get your thoughts on them. Uh, but until next time, make sure you are subscribed to the show. That you Leave us a like if you enjoyed the video. Comment, let us know what you thought of this week's news. And we will see you next time for another edition of the Aftershock. But until then, we hope that you stay Crypto Current. Catch you later.